talking about memory. goes quickly, doesn't it? Well, I just want to, again, welcome everybody who's here, and I want you to uh, know the children are going to stay in with us today. Aww, see? So uh, one of the things that we have been continuing to go over has been, uh, there are different weeks where we keep the children in from Children's Church to hang out with us. Uh, and, and that is meant so that way they can see you guys worship, to see what you guys are doing. Uh, and Because there's always that question, I had this question last week about the graduates that are graduating. How did you get from being a child to an adult? When did that take place? Long, a long time ago. For some, it has been many years, has it not? Some have not grown up yet. There we go. So there is that kind of pending question of, of how we get there. And, and even with the kids that normally go off to Children's Church, uh, we want them to see you guys worship and, and understand and follow the Word of God to the point where they know that when they get there someday that they're going to be doing the same thing. That they don't always get to be a kid. They don't always get to hang out in the youth group. But there is a goal in life that you are going to grow up and transition into a God-fearing adult. So my question is, how did you get where you are today? Think back throughout your life, and what do you credit? Do you credit yourself for where you are today? Do you credit your parents for where you are today? Do you credit God for where you are today? The question I really want to wrestle through as we kind of continue uh, to close this book of John is how did the disciples go from following Jesus to hiding in a room? And then later, if we look back in the, or if we continue to go through the book of Acts, uh, they go back to men and women who are bold in their faith, proclaiming who Jesus Christ is. Well, Jesus calls us to follow him. And even in this last chapter, John kind of closes with Jesus again asking Peter to follow him twice. The book, John actually closes the book where he started the book. So I want to walk through what this chapter uh, looks like. But before we get there, how did we get to the point where the disciples were following Jesus to Jesus' death and resurrection? We had just gone over Jesus' death and resurrection. And after Jesus died on the cross, it seemed like the disciples cowered for their life. Um, I want to take you to a couple other places that the Gospels actually lead us to. Uh, if you go back into to Luke chapter 24, it is describing this transition, this time period in between when Jesus died and when the disciples are, are going to their next thing. Um, Jesus has died and they are devastated. Mary of Magdalene and, and the other women go off to the tomb and they find that Jesus isn't even there. Their excitement draws them back to run to the disciples to tell the disciples the good news. In Luke 24, verse 11, it says, But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. The disciples didn't even want to believe what the women had seen. They were not taking their testimony for it. They wanted some kind of different evidence. You see that with Peter and John running to the tomb themselves. Even after Jesus appears to them, 
as we had followed up this last week, even after Jesus appears to them, it says that in the book of Mark, afterward, he appeared to the eleven. This is Jesus. And as they were reclining at the table, he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him. The disciples seemed to be in this tough place, a place of unbelief, a place of not wanting to believe anybody around them, only wanting evidence for themselves. And God commissions them to, to a different place. says, hey, we're, I'm going to move your location. So in Matthew it says, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And this is kind of where John picks up in this chapter. The disciples are off in this mountain in Galilee, and yet, in this last chapter, John writes about something that Peter has done specifically that Jesus comes and calls him out. You see, it's, it's in this last chapter that you find and know the obedience of the disciples who didn't always look that great. Sometimes we look at the apostles and think that they were like supermen, right? They were great men that always listened and followed the directions, right kids? Always listening to your parents. Have you always done that? No, the disciples are a lot like two-year-olds. So as we go through scripture, uh, I want to start in John chapter 21 and start to, to find where we're at here. The disciples supposed to be hanging out in the mountain waiting as Jesus commanded them and you find that they make a different choice. It says, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, The Sea of Tiberias is also uh, called the Lake of Gennesaret or uh, the Sea of Galilee. Those are all the same thing. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. Kind of seems to be odd to be these professional fishermen who are getting told that they're doing it wrong. Farmers, you guys are supposed to sprinkle the seed on top of the ground. That's why you're not getting a big harvest. He continues on, so they cast, and when they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of fish. 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? 
knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I want to pause there real quick and just kind of ask, why do we go from the death and resurrection of Jesus back to this fishing story? Well, for some of us, even as I read this, as I read this story, some of you started to kind of think through like, I feel like I've heard this before. A little deja vu moment. Have you guys ever had a deja vu moment? Some place where you got brought back to like, man, I feel like I've been here before. It's in this deja vu moment we'll actually find several little deja vu moments that Jesus is walking Peter through. So let me just name a few of them. Uh, the fishing story does sound familiar because uh, the Gospel of John doesn't have it, but the other three Gospels do. And there's a story uh, that I, if you look at Luke 5, uh, just the first 11 verses, it really kind of lays out that story. Uh, same thing, Jesus is out with his disciples he actually gets into Simon Peter's boat and tells Peter to, to push offshore for a little bit. He gets in the boat and he sits down and he starts teaching all the people on the hillside. Same location at the Sea of Galilee. And as he's teaching all these people, after he's done teaching, he looks at Peter and says, Peter, let's go out a little further and uh, put your nets out. And Simon Peter again says, uh, we just fished all night and we didn't catch anything. Sound familiar? Jesus says, let's go. And Peter does. He's obedient. He listens at this point. Uh, they put their nets down. And it says that the catch was so big, they had so many fish that they couldn't even haul it in. Think about a boat that has so many fish coming up in the net that as you start to pull up your net, you hadn't caught in anything the night before. But each time you pull up the net a little bit and a little bit, the water's splashing, there's fishtails fluttering, and each time you pull up, your boat starts to go down further and further to the point where they think they're actually going to sink. So they call over their partners and say, come help us. So their partners come over and they haul in this huge load of fish. This story, John puts in there specifically to detail that during this moment, Peter has a different reaction. It's in this reaction in Luke 5 that Peter comes before Jesus and he says to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. John, John describes at the beginning of his book that Jesus goes out and calls his disciples to himself. And in this instance, in, in Luke 5, uh, the disciples are, are doing really well. They're being obedient. They're listening to what God wants, and they're continuing to go with him. But yet, as he closes his book in chapter 21, we see a different picture as Simon, Peter, and the disciples are supposed to be in this mountain waiting for God, they go out on a fishing trip. You find Simon, Peter, taking the other disciples, being disobedient from what their call was, and going back to the things they used to do. Going back to the things that were comfortable to them. And Jesus makes it look very similar to that last time that Peter remembers 
catching that huge load of fish. It says, during this time you were obedient, now what are you doing? Now, there's a, there's a second deja vu moment that's in this first fishing story. Uh, and we see that when it gets into verse 9, when it says that they get to land and they saw a charcoal fire. Now, there's only two times that John talks about a charcoal fire, this being one of them. The last time he talked about a charcoal fire was in chapter 18, when there's a slave girl who kept the door, and she said to Peter, uh, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. That's Peter's first denial. Jesus was on the cross, and Peter is out getting asked if he's one of his disciples, and Peter's saying, nope, not me. It says that it was cold. Then the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire. And then it continues, Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. And again, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And then one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again, and then immediately a rooster crowed. The deja vu moments that Jesus is bringing Peter back into uh, are bring, filling him with pain and sorrow and grief. Peter's starting to remember all those things that had happened. God, I know you called me to this, but yep, I'm out fishing again. Jesus, there's a charcoal fire. The last time I remember being at a charcoal fire was denying you. Jesus is bringing him back to what he had done in his old ways. And yet, Jesus is so gracious that even in this moment, Jesus provides breakfast for him. He says, not only have I called you to something different, but I'm going to provide for you to what I have called you to. And this is where John gets to the biggest question that you and I can take away today. If you don't take away anything else today but this next section, uh, you should take it all away, but this next section is really where Jesus gets into this pinpoint question for Simon Peter says, do you love me? Do you love me? Why is this the biggest question in Simon Peter's life right now? Well, if you recall, uh, I'm going to walk back to John 13. There's an instance where Jesus is telling his disciples what's coming. I am going to die on a cross. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And he's telling the disciples, you guys can't follow me. But the command that I have for you is that you're supposed to love one another. And Peter kind of negates this love for one another, but he, he gets told that he can't follow him. And Peter gets a little defensive here at this point and says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And this is the moment where Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not, will not crow until you deny me three times. He tells Peter what's going to happen. He predicts the denial. He brings Peter back to where he was so confident that there's nothing that can stop him from following Jesus. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever had that confidence that you are a follower of Christ and that nothing could get in your way? 
Well, Peter was there, and yet Jesus transitions and switches to ask him, do you love me? So follow up in verse 15 with me. It says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, I want to take a pause here real quick because there's a lot going on in these few verses. Uh, Jesus refers to Simon as his original name, Simon, uh, son of John. He does not call him Peter. Even though that Peter is the name that was given to him by Jesus. In chapter 1, he says, You, Simon, son of John, shall be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. Petros. Rock. Peter, you are going to be a rock. Peter doesn't seem so much to be like a rock right now, does he? And he's asking Peter, do you love me? Now, even in this question where God is asking Peter, do you love me? He's using this term uh, agapao, which uh, is a, the highest type of love, a love of total commitment. And Peter, when he responds and says, Lord, you know I love you, he doesn't use that same term, agapao, he changes it to phileo. If you see the asterisks in your Bible, that's kind of what it's showing, that those terms of love that they're using are different. Jesus is saying, do you love me with total commitment? And Peter is responding back and saying, uh, I love you with this phileo love, a brotherly kind of love. So Jesus isn't even calling him by his name that he had given him because Simon is acting like his old self. He's not acting the way that Jesus described he was going to, to be a rock. He's, he's gone back to his old ways. He's gone back to fishing. And Jesus questions his love. Any disobedient Christian, uh, this, is, this is the number one question you can get asked. Do you love me? And he asks them, do you love me more than these? What are the things he's talking about? Well, Jesus is asking, do you love me more than anything else? Peter's back fishing. Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than golf? Do you love me more than farming? Where does your love lie? And when Peter responds, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, tend my lambs. Kind of seems to be a switch, right? Where does, where does that fit in? Uh, and then he continues a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, in this last one, uh, the type, the term of for love that he's using, he had been using agapao this whole time. He switched it and changed it on the last question to what Peter had used. Do you phileo me? Do you even have a brotherly kind of love for me? And it says Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. 
Peter's confidence that we had seen in chapter 13 seemed to disappear really quickly. Peter's confident call to say, I'm going to follow you no matter what, even if I have to lay down my life for you, turned into denying him when Jesus was dying on the cross. And it's not a coincidence that Jesus asks him, do you love me, three different times, and there's three different denials. Jesus has brought him back to the point where he had found him, and he wants to get Peter uh, restored to what he had first called him to. Jesus had called Rock to go fishing for men. He had called him to be a rock, to have a faith that is insurmountable, and yet that's not where he is right now. And Jesus is restoring him in this moment. Now, um, we also know that love is costly. And it's in this that Jesus describes and tells us all that what you love is what you follow. Think about that. What you love is what you follow. Think about it this way. I knew that I was going to follow somebody, and I knew that it had a cost when I met my wife-to-be, uh, Heather, uh, and there was a time where I remember that um, that love got questioned. Heather and I had started a relationship. We had started dating. Uh, I had committed to her that I was going to be faithful and steadfast and be around, and then cancer struck. And at that moment, the question was, is, are you going to stick around? And I remember a time when uh, Heather was going through different chemo treatments. Uh, we were not even quite engaged yet, but she was going through different chemo treatments, and she would have to spend a whole week in the hospital. So she'd go to Chicago, spend a whole week in the hospital, and then have two weeks off, and then go back for another week and had to do that six different times. And, and during one of those times that she was in the hospital, I really wanted to go see her, visit her, hang out with her, uh, and I had asked her parents if they thought it would be okay if I could go and spend a night or two in the hospital with her in Chicago. Uh, I, I don't know why her parents said yes, but maybe it was because I had 24-7 surveillance with, surveillance with uh, nurses, so they felt like it was pretty safe. So they said, yeah, you can go spend the night in the hospital room with her. So I, I spent a couple nights, and I remember that it was on New Year's. New Year's Eve seems to be a pretty uh, big celebration for everybody, uh, and I happen to be up on the 16th floor of this hospital. On the 16th floor in Chicago, you can see quite a bit. And from where the hospital was, you looked out over toward Lake Michigan, and you could see Navy Pier. You could see the big Ferris wheel, and you could see just about every single person that was on it. It was close enough. I could see when people were getting on, getting off, and all this hustle and bustle going on. People were all over the city having fun at New Year's Eve, and I was in the hospital room on the 16th floor in Chicago. At that moment, I had to ask myself the question, do I love my wife enough to be here? And do I love my wife enough to where I understand the cost, that it's going to be costly? And I remember looking out on the 16th floor and watching everybody kind of walk around and honk horns and, and walking around to different parties. And I looked back at Heather, and out of the 24 hours that we were there, 23 of the 24 hours she was sleeping, and I would look back at Heather, and she was fall, you know, fast asleep in her bed. 
And I remember thinking, yep, it's worth it. That was the time I knew that my love for her was far beyond going out and partying, going out and having fun. That love was going to cost something. Think about yourself. What has love cost you? Think about your hobbies. What you love is what you follow. If you have some hobbies, I hope you love them. If you don't, that kind of seems a little weird. But, but there are many different things that we can fall in love with. We can love different objects. We can even love experiences. We can love people. How many of you guys have different experiences you would love to go see? Love to go see, go travel. Maybe you want to jump out of an airplane. Callaway, you want to jump out of an airplane? Nope, nope, that's not his love. Heights is not his thing. So, but there are different things that we love. Love is a powerful thing. John is pointing us to the fact that what is going to drive you, what is going to motivate you to follow Christ? Jesus says love. Love is going to be your motivation. Love is powerful. It's so powerful, it's powerful enough to sacrifice your life for your family. Love is powerful enough to even die for a cause. Memorial Day represents a love that drove people to die for our freedom. And this is a weekend for all Americans to give thanks for what God has given us through the sacrifice of all the men and women who have died for our country. Love is what motivates us. And love is also what's going to motivate you to care for his flock. Love is going to be the initial thing that causes us to love one another. The cost of love, Jesus even describes. It's, he says that this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And you're my friends if you do what I command. That there is no greater love but to love one another. And it's in this where all of a sudden we get into the last part of John chapter 21 and we really start to see some more of this cost. We start to see Peter um, and where his heart truly lies, where his heart is at in this moment. Following up at verse 18, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he had said this, signifying what kind of death would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus knows the cost. He's calling Peter to follow that cost. And even in this, he, he's saying a whole lot here. He's telling Peter, you denied me three times because you didn't have a love for me. You were loving yourself more than you loved me, and you were fearing for what people might do to you. Fear drove Peter to denial. Fear because what would have happened if he would have been associated with Jesus? 
Well, the worst case scenario is he could have been taken and crucified on a cross just like Jesus. Peter was afraid for his life. And yet, Jesus in this moment says, when you were younger, you used to do whatever you wanted to do. And he gives him this phrase, you will stretch out your hands, the same phrase that you would use with crucifixion. The same fear that drove you to denial that you might be crucified is also what is going to happen to you in the future. You one day will be crucified. And he knows this because it says it was signifying the kind of death that he would glorify God. It is definitely something to be questioned. How do you get to where you are today? How do you get to a place where you are so sure in your faith that you won't deny Christ under any circumstance? Well, Peter finds himself in this place, and yet Jesus is so gracious and so kind, he restores Peter back to where he was. And here's Peter's two-year-old moment. You know what Peter says next? Peter turns around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is John, the one who's writing the book. And he says, Lord, what about this man? Peter gets told what's going to happen. Jesus tells him what is coming, and yet Peter turns around and says, what about, what about John? Does John get crucified? I know, I know that that's what you've told me that I'm going to do, but what about him? How often do we look around at each other and see what God's doing in each other's lives, and we can get so jealous at times of what God's doing in other people's lives? Sometimes it's for the good. Sometimes it's for the bad. And yet, Jesus reminds us that there is a cost. Jesus restores Peter, and he commissions him to follow me. And even in this, when Peter turns around and looks at John and says, what about him? Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Stop looking around at everybody else. Look at what I have called you to do. And you want to know a picture of gossip? It says, therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? So even in this whole story, John kind of closes with Peter being restored back to the same calling that Jesus had called him to at the very beginning. Follow me. Now, what does this mean for you and I? How do we read this story? How do we read this chapter and apply this to our lives? One of the questions that really came up for me was, why does Peter's love come into question? Why does Peter's love come into question? Should your love come into question? And that is what Jesus is pointing us all to. What do you love? Do you love me more than these? Do you love God more than anything else in this world? That's where he wants you. 
I wouldn't say for all of us that that's where we are. But how do you get to that point? Well, Jesus graciously walks with us and gets us to the point where we're meant to be, that we are sanctified through his death and resurrection. We're sanctified through what Jesus had done for us. And a lot of times, the things that are keeping us from, from following Jesus with our whole total commitment is fear. Is there anything you're afraid of? Is there something that you fear? Are you afraid of uh, speaking boldly? Are you afraid of losing friendships? Are you afraid of losing your health? Are you afraid of moving? Afraid of where God might call you to go? Are you afraid of looking bad in front of others? Are you afraid of being humiliated? Now, a lot of us have gone through different pains, trials, difficulties in life. And it's through those pains, trials, and difficulties in life that are meant to draw us back to that question, do you love me more than these? Do you want to know the time when you actually find what you love is when it's taken away from you? Kids, is that right? Do you know you really, really love something when mom and dad all of a sudden take something away and you're like, no! See, Asher knows. Yeah, when it's taken away from you. I remember even early on in Heather and I's marriage, there were times that I would go to God when I realized that Heather's health had gone and it wasn't the same health that I wanted for her. And my first initial reaction wasn't, praise God for where you have and what you're doing in my life. My question to God was, God, why? Why are you making me go through these things? And yet God has slowly brought me back to that point to do you love anything more than me? Do you love your spouse more than me? Do you love your kids more than me? God doesn't want us to get into that place and he's going to continue to work in our lives. You are meant to suffer as Christ has suffered so that not, not that God doesn't know where your heart is. Scripture says all over the place that God knows your heart. The problem is you don't know your heart. How do you know what you love until it's taken away? How do you know what you love until you go through adversity? How do you know what you love until you suffer greatly? And the good news for us all today is that Christ suffered for you and I on the cross so that way he could restore us back into what life looked like in Genesis, right? Restoration looks so sweet when we understand the purpose for our love. And what John is really trying to relay in this last chapter too is uh, stop looking around don't look at what God's necessarily doing in everybody else's life uh, and cause jealousy. Uh, look at other people's, what God's doing in other people's life and rejoice. Praise God for what he's doing in other people's lives. But, but there is that way that we can get jealous for what God's doing in other people's lives. Uh, I know for Heather and I, we've had that ourselves when uh, one seems to be spiritually on a 
uh, mountain and doing really, really well, sometimes you can look at your spouse like, oh, man, I want to be there. I want to be on the spiritual high. And sometimes you can compare yourself, and yet God says, I am enough. I will provide for you. Listen to God's voice and hear what he has for you. He won't tell you your future. He won't give you the guarantees you want. He simply says, follow me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this weekend, this weekend of remembrance. We thank you for what you have done on the cross, that you died and rose again for us. And sometimes we find ourselves in disobedience, not following what you have called us to do. And we need your help. We ask that you would give us your power, your strength, give us your spirit to have a faith that is steadfast and firm that won't waver during times of adversity. But we also praise you for those times of adversity because we know that when we go through difficulties in life that we're drawn closer to you that it's during those moments that we're meant to cling to you more than we've ever clung to you before. And we trust you. We just ask that as this weekend closes, that you would help us to remember the men and women who have lost their life fighting for a cause and help us to walk beside the loved ones who are still feeling that sting. Help us to be the church. Help us to love one another so that everyone else would know that we're yours by the way we love each other. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand and sing a couple more songs? One more song.